Hey everyone, and welcome to the Why in Your Twenties. This is Fifi Nat here. We are two counselors in our twenties, navigating our adulthood away from our home country. This is where we explore questions that might come across in our twenties, including relationships, identities, and all kinds of uncertainties. Some topics will be fun; others can be a bit scary and uncomfortable. But sit with it, because that's actually when we learn and grow. Just a friendly reminder: the information presented in this podcast is for general information purposes only. If you are struggling, please seek professional help. We might not have everything figured out yet, but together we can make this journey less lonely and scary. So, welcome, welcome on board and let the journey begin. Welcome back to another episode of the Why in Your Twenties podcast. Hope all the listeners are having a great week. This week we're just going to continue from last week's topic, polyamory, and we're just going to dive right in today. So I think that ties really smoothly to you know some common myths that you might experience in non-monogamy, <laughs> non-ethical <laughs> non non-monogamy, yeah, ethical non and. Monogamy. Okay. Hard to say, isn't it? Sometimes. Monogamy. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there's some definite myths out there, and these myths usually come from people that have tried it and been burnt, or um, just cannot get their head around it. One is about relationship quality. How can you have the same quality of relationship if you're sharing yourself among other people? And the research, in my own experience, is that that's just not true. I um, I have very deep Connections with people. I build long companionate love with people. I fall in love with people. I've been in love with two people at the same time, and it's like overwhelming. It's like almost hard to breathe. So I would refute that myth that there's lower relationship quality. For me, it's it's been really high quality. Have you heard someone said this to you before? Yeah, yeah. It's it's quite. You know, you've only got so much love, so. How can you love beyond that? You know, if if you're only loving one person, then all your love is with one person. But if you're loving two, you're splitting it. But to me, that's not the case because it's like your your heart seems to expand. The um, in polyamory, one of the symbols is a is an infinite sign. I get it. I get it. But because you're you you, you find you've got more capacity for love than, than what you know. My experience, anyway. Um, another myth is that there is a type. And I understand the research um, says that not normal people. Um, there's not a, a specific type of personality or a certain type of people. However, my experience is a little bit different. I think um, looking at where I came from, if you've got a high value on integrity and honesty, and you're conscientious, you won't be able to cheat. You're either going to stay in your relationship, or you're going to be very, very open. With what you're doing, so although there's no real type, I think there are some things that might make you more likely to be polyamorous. And you um, talked about people high on jealousy before. I think also with attachment styles, those that are more securely attached just might find the ride a little bit easier. Um, those with um, avoidant attachment styles um, might find it easier but they probably won't get as um, intimate in the relationship stis is another myth when you're talking about stuff openly and honestly you're talking about stis as well you're talking about safe sex uh, there is a term called fluent bonding 
fluid bonding where uh, you, you might have unprotected sex with one person but protected sex with everybody else so uh, because it's talked about so openly um, STIs aren't really that big a problem the other myth is around children surely you know a children need a mother and a father and just one of each and all this kind of thing and it would be bad to mess with that um, not the case they found children in polyamorous relationships to be really well adjusted and some of the people I know they, they will have like a group of people, in fact it's happened in one of my relationships too, a, a group of parents um, through polyamorous relationships but also rainbow families that are being parents to the same children. So the children have so many people to form attachments in. Um, when one parent's not up to it, uh, instead of it becoming a, um, a neglectful re, um, emotional or, or a neglectful moment, there's other parents to step up. If you heard the term, what is it? It takes a village to raise a child. So it's like it doesn't need to be a nuclear family. So that's, so yeah, parenting. You've got multiple parents as well. So children, guess, well adjusted. Mm. And I, I guess not only that relationship is infinity love, but also with their children. Would you say so? That the children got infinity love as well because they got so many parents to yeah. form attachment Yes, with. yes. Yeah, and, and people will negotiate the relationships differently. Some partners might not want to be involved with the children, and some might very well want to be in part of the children. And I don't know what the children would call them, mum, dad, auntie, and uncle, or uncle, but there's still another adult that's securely attached in their lives. And it's a, it's a good thing. They, um, they, they grow well-adjusted and find no, no worse off than the rest of society. And that's been my experience, and it's also apparently what the research is saying as well. So we'll call that one a myth, that um, children don't fear as well. Can I ask how your because you've mentioned you have kids yourself as well, how do they react or are they grew up, have any confusion or questions that you have encountered before? My my kids have been absolutely fine. Um, I've got two kids that are um, genetically related to me. I'll talk about, about those, although they're all fine. They were very open and accepting. Uh, they have always, they've seen me go through a gender transition. They have seen my diverse lifestyle. I haven't hidden it from them. They're both monogamous and they are both an inc- what I see as incredibly healthy, good relationships and uh, a lot of the things I say that are important in polyamorous relationships like transparency and communication they appear to be doing that really effectively in their monogamous relationships and I think that's what makes it work but they've just fully accepted me in that way yeah it hasn't been an issue for them that's my kids anyway not all kids will see it the same way. I know. I, I see on um, the support group sometimes people are saying, "Oh, I'm going to come out, coming out to my kids today," you know, and and how they react to it. But my kids kind of grew up with it. Mm. It was part of their reality all the way through. Mm. So again, transparency. Transparency, yeah, and and making sure that you you value their mental health and that they're secure, that they're looked after. If you do that, I think all the other stuff on the outside doesn't really matter that much anyway. And they've got to meet a lot of my partners, but they'll only, usually only meet them after I've been with someone for a wee while, and I think that's going to be, you know, okay for them to meet them. It's not like they're seeing a different person all the time. And I haven't been through that many partners either. So normally with a love relationship, they, 
they last a long time. Like I'm seeing one partner for I've seen one partner for twelve years now, so you know one for a few years. Um, yeah, so they, they last a long time. I'm really curious because well, I'm very I would identify myself as you know very uh, the norm like the standard. I I just need that structure like can't think of out of box that kind of person. Do you? <laughs> Do you ever thought of a relationship will be always long-lasting till the rest of your life, or you don't have that idea, or you didn't even think about that? I'm I, I date right, and I'm really really interested in long-term relationships, and my ideal is they will last till the end. I'll go all the way through. If a relationship's working, I don't really see any reason for it to end. But the, the norm in society of getting together and your relationship has been permanent, yeah, I don't know if that's um, realistic. Uh, it's an ideal. It's something to commit to for sure. And I think that if you think your relationship's going to end, you're going to use it as an out rather than working on the relationship. But if your commitment is, I'm just, we're just going to keep working on this relationship. We're going to make it work. We've already invested a lot then you know you are actually trying to make something that will last forever but realistically is it don't know and i think it's wrong to stay in a relationship which is dysfunctional and will never be functional and is harmful to one or both people i think it's wrong to stay in those relationships so to answer that question forever is the ideal even for me but i'm realistic about it too I guess I'm like I don't know what I'm thinking, but like I'm realistically or realistically, I would assume you know my first partner will be my last partner. Mm-hmm. So I'm like I'm the most Disney fairy tale kind of person. That yes, that's the path that way that I'm gonna go. Whether it's realistic or not, we'll find out. <laughs> but it, but it happens. It does. It does, and it's beautiful when it does. Um, and if you can meet someone and and they just like the love of your life and. And you are compatible enough that you can do the work and it's not too much work, but it's a bit of work and you can make your relationship wonderful all the way through. That's beautiful. I mean, I like that, you know. Um, I haven't found that all the way through. Um, And I don't know if I could do that monogamously because I do tend to get emotionally involved in other people. But... That's that's great, and some people do do that. I I, I wish that for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think is okay at this point? I cannot work on this anymore. We tried our best. This is not working. I've had a, one of the agreements that I've had with people when I've gone into relationships is that we have an exit plan, and um, not that we're planning to exit but it's how we treat each other on the way out. Because what tends to happen is people are unhappy about something in the relationship and they let it build up. And they let it build up to it's got so much emotional energy behind it, they release it all in one hit and it harms the relationship. But if you're talking about it all the time, you talk about what's, what's in the space for you, what you're not happy with, and you've tried to work on it. And if it isn't working, then you can discuss how to leave and if you have an agreement in place prior the agreement is you that on the way out we treat each other with respect that we put uh, the same care into each other on the way out and that's what I that's what I want to do if I'm breaking up with somebody I want to make sure that they they're going to go into another uh, you know happy functional relationship 
Um, we had a relationship built on something that's not completely gone. It's nice to keep in touch. Um, some it doesn't work out that way. Some some can end bad, but most of them, for me, have ended good. Again, my ideal is they don't end, <laughs> but sometimes they do as people change. I love that. I love that the idea of exit plan in any kind of relationship. I would say, not just an ugly or just disappear, vanish, wish. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I have a tendency to do that. <laughs> uh, what you mean, like ghosting and things early on in a relationship, yeah, or like avoidance, like avoidance? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But people just don't seem to respect um, their partners as much when they're leaving a relationship, and I think that's sad because uh, they're still good people most of the time. So you know, it's it's good to have an agreement to make sure that you're looking out for each other on the way out, and that no one's getting hurt. It's like doing a transition rather than a, a dumping. Dumping sounds horrible. So that being said, do you have like a sort of set boundaries or like rules in this kind of relationship? As a relationship anarchist, there's no rules. So mm. to make a distinction, I see a rule as something you're, um, you know, you're, you're putting on the other person. And um, that if they break it, there could be a bad consequence. But you're kind of taking away a part of their autonomy. Whereas a boundary is you go, you would state, this is my boundary. If you cross that boundary, you're going to hurt me. And we don't know exactly how I'm going to respond to that. But, you know, please don't cross my boundary. Um, and I, I do, and also there's agreements. So agreements are kind of like relationship rules that you can have that you want to stick to, but you can renegotiate them. So I've had some in the past, for example, um, oh, my boundaries would be autonomy. We all have autonomy. We have transparency, you know, some of the things I mentioned before, and honesty um, and respect for each other. But as far as, like, agreements is concerned, I've had um, with partners, like, special days we recognise, like anniversaries. Now, they're not wedding anniversaries, but they could be first hookup anniversaries, if you like, if that's a term you can use for a long-term relationship. Birthdays sometimes, you know, to acknowledge those. Uh, time together, how much time together, how often you see each other, you know. And for me at the moment, I'm kind of living by myself or with a housemate. But previously to this, I was living with a partner for five months and while well, I was transitioning out of another relationship, where I was kind of living with him for about 17 years. So, um, yeah, so there's different different rules and boundaries. Um, yeah, autonomy, unprotected sex, I guess, is another one. That's one I've always asked of partners. Uh, if you're having unprotected sex with somebody else, can you please let me know so I can make a choice whether I want to have unprotected sex with you as well or if I want to have um, no sex with you for a wee while or, or do protect it only just for my own safety. I, I, that's one that I always ask. Um, but less so these days because, well, you know, getting a bit older now and <laughs> a lot of my relationships are um, physically intimate but not always sexual. So, or not that sexual anyway. So it's no, not as much high risk sex anyway. Yeah, so I think, like, just hearing your whole journey, I'm just wondering, how do you feel about, like, you know, it feels like you're educating us, educating, like, a lot of people who are, like, very, like, normative monogamy type of people. I'm just wondering, like, how do you actually feel about just educating these people? 
it's something I actually really want to do. I'm quite, I'm quite passionate about it. When you find something you're passionate about it, you want to tell people about it. But I'm also aware that people, that we've got different mating strategies we've access to, and there's people that are monogamous, and monogamy really works for them. So there's no way I want to push any of my values on them. But I do really, um, you know, I really want to get out there how important autonomy is, having autonomy. It's one of the main psychological needs. Uh, and, and some of the way society structures relationships is it takes some of that autonomy away. The openness, transparency, communication, I'm very strong values. I really want to, to get that out there. Um, and that people have a choice, really, you know. Society has evolved for whatever reason to develop this model for relationships, which has slowly changed over time. I mean, marriage used to be for economic reasons and survival reasons, and, and then recently it's, it's been more love-dominated, and then not in all cultures, you know. There's still arranged marriages. So it's like, you know, there, there are options. You don't have to fit in with a structure that was developed by a bunch of white dudes hundreds of years ago, you know. You can... You have a choice, and yes, the law gets in the way a little bit, and societal norms. But you you have a choice in what you do. So I, I'm very passionate about the education and that to say this other model actually works for some people. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that like, is it the more questions that we ask, the better that it feels like we're trying to learn more about it, be more open about it. Yeah, I think so. Um, because what people will, will do is they're going, this doesn't feel right, this doesn't sound right. And then by asking a question and getting a, a satisfactory answer that's based on reality, it's, you know, based on ev evidence, mm -hmm. then they're, gonna, they're more likely to go, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. And then with that knowledge, it gives you more choices. And I guess exactly what Viv mentioned a few months or like a few weeks ago, she said, you know, it will only be an uncomfortable conversation when both either parties are not open about it. Right, you you can disagree with other people, but you can't implant your values and you can't put your opinions on other people and change people's mind. So I think that's what you said. You know, being open and yeah, yeah. So I'm not saying there's something that works for me and works for other people, but it it doesn't work for for everyone, and especially when society is set up to make it easier for a certain group. And no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want other people putting their values on me, and I, I don't want to do it on other people as well. Um, little story. I had a bit of a um, relationship with somebody once, and after we had a, um, we started getting together. She says, "Oh, please don't tell your partner because they were friends. Please don't tell your partner about this. I couldn't handle it if she knows." And I'm like, "Oh no, that doesn't work for me." But she was so distraught about it that I kept it secret for two months. I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it. It was um, so. It went so against my values. I was trying to please somebody that was in conflict with arrangements I had with with other people. So um, yeah, that was that was um, a difficult, painful time. I don't know if I tangent it off there, but that was just a a little um, side story. Have you ever experienced any challenges? Jealousy has been a big one, and um, mononormativity and discrimination for other people, not so much me. So because we've got a society which values monogamy, and because people have eternalised it, 
you know, they've grown up with the fairy tales of, you know, it's just prince and princess or one couple and you stay with that couple for life and it's a happily ever after. Although I'm sure Prince Charming popped up a few times. Didn't Prince Charming must have had a few princesses? Was there more than one Prince Charming or, mm, I don't know. Is there? Or did Prince Charming have a lot of different... And what was the deal with Snow White? But anyway, that's another thing. <laughs> um, so, but jealousy has is, is been a, a, a big thing in a few. Um, the other problem I've had is people thinking um, that they will change me. So I've, I've gone into a relationship and I'll say, um, I'm polyamorous, or back in the day when the, when the word didn't exist, I'll say, I, do, I see other people, I'm very open about that. Um, so please know that I'm not going to go monogamous for you. And a lot of people think that I will but I don't, and they'll go into the relationship with me, and then two months later, three months later, they're struggling with the fact I'm seeing other people and the relationship breaks up. So I've been hurt a lot of times by people leaving me that I've got emotionally attached to because they couldn't handle me being polyamorous despite having that conversation at the beginning because what they didn't tell me was they thought I would change for them, and I didn't. That's been that's been quite hard, and that's been a challenge for me. Uh, and jealousy was a kind of a part of that, yeah. And I guess that also applies to any type of relationship where you get into a relationship in the mindset of you're gonna change some people. Yeah, yeah, not a healthy mindset, even in monogamy, because mm. um, people don't change that much. I mean, people grow and evolve together. That's beautiful when you can create something together. But if one person thinks they're going to change the other, they're probably going to be disappointed. I love that. It's like, well, I need to put an analogy here. Like, you know, if it's an apple tree, it won't turn into an orange tree. It will grow, it will branches out, but it doesn't mean it will change to an orange tree. Yeah, and that's fine. Isn't it nice to have a bit of tree diversity? <laughs> Imagine the rainbow as well, like apple, oranges. Yeah, all pears. different colors and fruits. Blueberries, grapes. <laughs> Discrimination has been a problem for some people and maybe for me in some contexts. So as a, as a counsellor, there's a story in Queensland, uh, might have been 10 years ago, uh, where a counsellor was um, sacked from an organisation because she was seen to be in a polyamorous group online and the organisation said, this is against our values, so they sacked her. So there's no protection for polyamorous people. Um, she fought it, took it to court, and they, um, the court said, well, polyamory in the Australian dictionaries is about sexual relationships, which is adultery, which goes against the values of this organisation, therefore they are right to dismiss you. The trouble is the rest of the culture in Australia and the dictionaries around the world say that polyamory isn't about sex, it's about love, you know, or more so about love. So that doesn't sit right with me, but it means that if certain organisations that have values around adultery or something like that, they're going to see polyamory as that, and that I could not get a job with them, or if I did, I'd be, you know, dismissed if it, um, if it got found out. Not personally, just from other people. So it just it means that some organisations I know I probably wouldn't work for or couldn't work for. 
uh, and the fact that that's out there is a, a bit of a concern. The Anti-Discrimination Act has been reviewed at the moment and I put a submission in on behalf of Diversity Queensland and we kind of wanted specific coverage for um, non-monogamous relationships and they said that in the review pretty much said that it wasn't really necessary because it was covered by the other stuff, but the other stuff hasn't covered it adequately at all. Now, this organisation was had an exemption from the Anti-Discrimination Act anyway because it was a religious organisation, but still, you know, there is no protection. And also, if you think about marriage equality, um, now that there's um, equality for same sex or same gender, like I could marry you, but if I married you, I couldn't marry you, Vivian. It would be we couldn't, the three of us couldn't get married. That's still illegal. So there's still discrimination against that, and that's fine, one step at a time. But there are people that are in definitely committed love relationships and triads where it would be appropriate. But traditionally, marriage, man and a woman, or now two people can't be three. So there is that kind of discrimination as well. So is there any strategies that you can manage those challenges that you mentioned before? With things like stigma in society, I probably do the same as what the LGBT um, community does, build pride. Um, Know that it's something that's ethical and that the majority of non-monogamy is unethical, but I'm doing ethical. I should feel proud about what I'm doing. It is something that is based on evidence, so I'm fine with it. And that kind of gives me a bit of protection from stigma, so I don't feel bad about myself. That's one of the ways that that I manage it. Uh, A lot of people just aren't open about it. They they don't talk about it, so I guess that's one of the strategies. But when they find someone who's open-minded, yeah, Love to share it, you know. Um, I'm someone who probably doesn't respect people's assumed boundaries as much. Like, I'll talk openly about it, and every now and then I'll say, oops, maybe I shouldn't have talked to that person about it, because they have very strong values the other way. Like, um, like Nat, your values for monogamy is great, but you're very open-minded. Um, it's like my kids, they're very open-minded about monogamous, so it's okay to talk to you about it, but some people aren't. Uh, my mother, for example, with infidelity, she thinks it's infidelity. So how do you actually manage that with, with, like, with people like that? Like, they may be very open-minded with a lot of different topics, but in specifically this topic that, you know, like this, this is very important to you, how do you actually manage and actually talk to them about it? It's quite often an, an impasse. They're like, it's just something you've just got to, you know, agree to disagree and... You know, you can treat it with a bit of humour if it ever comes up, but you know that that no matter what level you try to drop hints onto it, you're going to get a defensive mechanism. And if it's not that important that they need to know, and who is it really important that they need to, to be on board with that? So that's pretty much it. It's, you know, it sounds like avoidance, but... You just it's like an agree to disagree you know you have different values you know that um you're not going to agree on it so you put that aside and you just work on what's left and if it's strong enough that the values clash you probably wouldn't have that person in your life mm-hmm. but that's pretty rare mm-hmm. that you have that strong of values clash it's pro- probably a little bit like the what is it the um republican and democrats in the states <laughs> You know, some of them are so passionate, they almost couldn't even be in a relationship together. I actually 
I have like a question. It's like, what is some of the most common questions that you've been asked that you're like, oh, this question again? <laughs> How can you do that? You know, um, I, I think oh, for me, yeah, for you there's a lot of um, assumption that it's sexual. Um, and it could be partly because I get sexualized by being a trans woman. That could be part of it. Uh, I, you know, they, they get fetishized and there's people that are looking for, you know, open relationships, sexual things. Mm-hmm. So one of the most questions, biggest questions I get, will you be my friend with benefits? And I'm like, uh, no, no. Mm-hmm. So, but about polyamory itself, yeah, it's it's usually more about how do you manage the multiple relationships? What about jealousy? I think that's one of the biggest things that comes up for people is jealousy. And it's really hard for me to address because I really don't experience it much. I experience compassion, which is the, the opposite. So to me, as I say, it's not a threat. You know, if I'm, if I'm with, with you, Vivian, and you're off seeing somebody else um, and still with me, I would not see that as a, as a threat of losing you. Because, you know, you would be actively being polyamorous as well. I'm not saying you would do that, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you, Nat, because um, you haven't identified yourselves as being that way. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, they would probably be the most common questions. But often people will put their just opinions aside as well, like, mm-hmm. oh, that's not me, I couldn't do that. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's fine, that's fine, it's good. I'm not, I don't want to change the world. I want to change the world and not make people more aware and give people the choices um, and not be bound by um, the hierarchy in society that's been developed around relationships that is probably well past its use by day by now. Yeah, so again, that autonomy. Yeah. No matter what situations it yeah. is. Yeah, it's important. It's, um, you know, it's, it's an important part of, of psychological well-being to, to feel that you're not being coerced into something. Mm-hmm. And so if you're in a society where, you know, you're feeling love for somebody and you can't express it because you're loving somebody else, then to me that's hard, that's tough. Mm-hmm. But if, you, um, if you've made a committed relationship, part of it is you've made that committed relationship if it includes monogamy, you know, if it includes exclusivity. Yeah, so I think we, well, personally, I have learned a lot. I have learned a lot. <laughs> Not well, only about you. this topic, but also about you, Annie, like, and your whole journey itself. Mm. Really amazing to hear how much, I think, just how much you have learned as well from your own journey about yourself as well and about monogamy, polyamory, you know, the culture itself and how, you know, how, how limited it is in our culture have like certain type of relationship that is considered as you know acceptable yeah. yeah thank you for you know sharing being so open being so transparent with us honestly yeah so i really learned so much from you from your journey from your experience from you know the way you work as well it's not only the ethics in relationships in your romantic relationships but also the way you work as well um from our placement and also you know just all the conversations that we had throughout the time that we've known each other, really. Thank you. That's beautiful. That's lovely. Um, and look, I want to thank you both for this opportunity to, to talk about it too, because um, I, I might be a little bit unstructured with it in some ways, but I'm passionate about it. I, I really value people having choice and the, the way they do things, and it's worked for me. So no, I really appreciate it. Thank you for that opportunity. But thank you for sharing. I feel like it's just very insightful and I feel like it's not something that I'll ask you in person 
in like a you know friend setting and hang out catching up kind of vibe uh, i don't know if it's vulnerable for you but i feel like really appreciate you sharing your story to us and to the audience so thank you thank you and you know you always can directly ask me <laughs> and i'm very happy to be vulnerable with you as well i'll keep that in mind <laughs> And I think it's just the whole like episode itself. It's really just to increase that awareness and allowing other people to learn more about it, be more mm-hmm. educated about it. I think that's the whole thing that we want to bring out throughout, you know, this topic itself. It's just allowing more people to learn more about it. But I recently learned that you have started a new project with your housemate, and it's something connected to, I guess, being inclusive and providing this service. So you want to talk more about that? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So um, we're both counsellors and um, we looked at doing, we're looking, well, we're doing a diversity counselling project and we've got a website called diversitycounselling.org and we're covering um, a broad area of of human diversity. So um, LGBTI and cultural, um, neurodiversity and... um, relationship diversity, atypical relationship structures, um, ability and that sort of thing. We have lived experience in them. Um, Me with the atypical relationship structures and the LGBTI stuff and um, my partner in this is is exploring anyway and looking at doing more with neurodiversity and has cultural diversity is also a person navigating life outside of um, home country so that's a little bit exciting too we've only just got the website up recently and we're starting to do a little bit of marketing and our, our model is i mean early days we want to get more funding and that but we're trying to make it counseling very accessible for marginalized people because uh, marginalized people with um, all the, the stigma and discrimination and stuff uh, usually don't have the financial capacity to access counseling at full rates so it's a way to be able to make counselling um, more accessible rather than waiting for, um, you know, a psychologist on bulk billing, which can be big, long waits, um, especially for trans people and, and things like that. So, yeah, that's what we're looking to do. Well, that's what we're doing. It's only online at the moment. Um, it'd be nice that uh, if we grew enough, we could get premises and have people come in. Um, find a lot of people that are marginalized find it hard to, to come out anyway and they, they like to stay at home because um, they can develop anxieties from being around other people because of the way they've been marginalized. So online really works, but some people, the other way around, you know, some people, no, it needs to be in person and it is richer in person. You know, you can get a, a much more of the, the body language and things like that as well. But online's really good too. So if people want to find you, where can they go to? Well, it's uh, diversitycounseling, all one word, dot org. So yeah, uh, and it's the Australian counselling spelling with the two L's in it. And I can provide you with a link if you can put it on your podcast. Yeah, we'll put that in the description box. It sounds yeah. like a very exciting service. Like I, I'm so excited for you guys. Um, it, I know it's just starting at the moment, but I think it'll, you know, it really, they really need the service. Like it's a, a very big gap in the service provided and the service users. Like there's a very big gap for it. And at the moment, because we're more linking to you know, private practitioners, 
um, it's, it's easy for us to take other people on board as well. So anybody that wants to work in that area, um, especially if they have some lived experience, then um, it'll, you know we'd be very welcome if they you know properly qualified and have got the professional registrations to come on board as well. The trouble with marginalised groups is they've um, kind of learned not to trust the government or not to learn not to trust certain authoritative groups in society. So, and there's usually if someone has a bad experience with a counsellor or a psychologist or something, it kind of gets out in their community and people start to fear it. They, they start to not trust. But if they know someone's had lived experience mm-hmm. in their area, then that changes a lot of things. And they go, oh, this person's more likely to understand me. This person's more likely to validate my experience because they've had it too. So that's why I think it's important for the, the lived experience. Although um, my partner in this, even with the LGBTI area, um, may not identify themselves, but is just so, oh, how can I put it, so welcoming, so inclusive, just has that kind of energy that um, I think anyone can feel safe with. So, And I guess the whole point of counselling, not the whole point, but like part of it is to feel heard as well. They're like yeah. seeking help from that. Mm-hmm. So Definitely. no matter whether you have lived experience or not, having that open mind to listen and be compassionate, I think that's very important. Yeah. So I'm really happy for you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's very exciting. But this is it for today. I know it's very short um, and we really have covered very the very surface of the whole topic itself. And we would love to have you back, whether it's for this topic, for another topic, anything that you want to talk about with us, completely welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'd, I'd love to. Um, I mean, this whole LGBT area and pathological love relationships area. So there's lots of other things I'm into as, as well. But um, I, know, I know that I've sort of rabbited on here quite a little, quite a lot. So apologies for that. No, no, not at all. No apologies needed. Not at all. <laughs> um, but yes. So in the meantime, listeners, uh, check Diversity Counseling, um, their website. Um, check whyinyour20s.podcast on Instagram. Take care of yourself. Learn more about this topic other topics whatever that you're passionate about we'll see you next time bye